Welcome back, everybody. Today's class is going to be in the merit of a Rafua Shalema, a speedy recovery for Ari, 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 Ari Alter Ben Sion Ben Leah. You should have a speedy recovery. Thank you, Dina. Everyone, Dina's back. Yay! Were you back last? Dina has a new baby boy. Yeah. Thank you, Dina. Okay, so welcome to Musser on this beautiful sunny fall day. I was learning with somebody this morning and I was like, the sun was shining in the window and her husband was like, do you want me to shut this shade? I'm like, no, do not shut the shade. I love the sunshine. Okay, Okay. so we were talking, I'm sure you guys all forgot what we were talking about last week because it was so forgettable. Okay, thank you. Just checking. Was anybody listening last week? Okay. Last week we talked about sex. Um, but oh, yes, yeah. yeah. it was our husbands required to take care of our needs. That's right. That, that was Stephanie's big takeaway. <laughs> I'm so glad you were that listening. I'm so glad that you were listening. <laughs> All right. So today we are not talking about that. Hi, Yitzi. Today we are talking about other physical pleasures that people can possibly misuse or abuse or overindulge or use to harm others and how we can practice the character traits of withholding ourselves from enjoying everything that we could possibly enjoy for a greater purpose. So we are on page 96. And today our topic is clothing, all right? Uh, We actually started this one last time. We talked about how people who have, like, very uh, ostentatious clothing or people who have very, like, eye-catching, attractive clothing or people who are very into how they look, they can attract the wrong kind of attention, they can send the wrong message. Um, There's another piece when it comes to clothing, um, and that is, I think, something that a lot of people in our generation uh, suffer from, which... I do, uh, is just having a lot of clothing, like way more than we need and way more than we even really wear. Um, there's this, you know, new trend now toward minimalism. I, I, I was reading this one article that said, like, you can have, like, p- most people just wear 34 women, okay? Men wear, like, the same 10 things over and over again. But let's say women wear, like, th- I know, what's up with that? Um, besides for which, okay, I mean, life changes people about my husband like for I don't know for like 25 years he's been the same size I'm like okay I've been like before pregnancy after pregnancy in the middle of pregnancy I think I'm pregnant do you know what I mean like anyway totally off topic but so women can basically wear 34 things over and over and over and over again so a a top a, a dress a skirt if you wear pants like whatever you wear you're basically are pulling the same couple of things out of your closet over and over and over again yet we all have closets that are burgeoning with stuff you know and shoes and sweaters and accessories and for me scarves and earrings and whatever the case is so we also need to ask ourselves, like, just again, just because I can, does that mean that I should? Yes, I'm buying this item 
I'm buying it honestly. I'm paying a fair price for it. I'm paying my taxes. It was with money honestly earned. You know, we even say to ourselves, I'm supporting the economy. You know, especially when I buy stuff in Israel. Like I said, whenever I go to Israel, I'm like, Rochi Koval, you do not need any more scarves. And then I go to Israel and then I, I come home with scarves. So my daughter actually gave me a good idea. She goes, why don't you just tell yourself every time I go to Israel, I will buy myself one scarf. I'm like, well, that's actually a lot smarter because instead I say I'm going to buy none and then I come home with three. So, but every time I shop in Israel, I'm like, this is a I'm supporting Israeli economy. I mean, I should be shopping twice as much than I do in Israel. So we do. We tell ourselves we're supporting the economy. And, um, you know, Sherry has an amazing event coming up. Artsyism. It's a mitzvah to shop there. That's my commercial. You. <laughs> You're welcome. You support local vendors and you, you, uh, you support a great cause, right? But, um, so yeah, definitely do that. Um, but there are reasons why we shouldn't buy things just because we can. What do you guys think some of those reasons might be? What might be a pitfall of excess? Vanity. Vanity. Like filling up a hole that can never be filled up with something physical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Filling an emotional need. Hey, Tammy. Anything else? How are you? Because I can, you know, that's justifying the book. I am... You mean like arrogance, like I deserve it kind of thing? Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Well, and I think that's also kind of what Cherry was saying. So, hi, April. Um, like filling a need without, you know, maybe without really thoroughly acknowledging, like I feel bad about myself, so I'm going to buy myself new clothing. No. Oh no, no, that's not what it is for you. Yeah, you're not feeling. Call it pride, but it is like entitled. Entitled. Uh huh. Okay. Entitled. Okay, that's another good point. Just want to your ego. Your- mm-hmm. Ego. That's another thing. You know? Well, let me ask you a question. When you have that much stuff and then you don't use it, what do you end up doing? Yeah, either hoarding or getting rid of it. So again, people make themselves feel better by saying, "Well, I'm donating it," you know. But a lot of the times the stuff we donate is not actually donatable. This is something a lot of people don't know because we donate things that aren't in such great shape and then they really just go in the garbage. So there's a lot of wastefulness that happens with this, you know, and I once heard Neely Cousins talking about this and she's like, she was basically saying like, this is the cycle. Like we shop, 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 shop. And then we, we, oh my gosh, I have to clean our closet. I have to clean our closet. And then I have to get rid of it. I have to get rid of it. And then we shop, 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 shop. And basically that just, you know, repeats itself. And I also have to say that Amer- in America, we have this unbelievable, I mean, I remember when I moved back from uh, Israel and Target was brand new. I, w- before I moved to Israel, there was no Target. So I remember we were starting to buy like small appliances for our new home. And I was asking my uncle, like, where, where can I buy like a little vacuum, uh, hand vac? So he's like, oh, either Target. Target or Venture? Do you guys remember Venture? Yeah. Venture was this like store like similar to Target, but when we moved back here, it was just going out of business. I'm like, what's Target? He's like, what's Target? <laughs> you know, there was also no internet in those days, you know? I mean, it was very, just, it was very new. So um, I could not believe it when I would go out shopping to these like mega malls in America, because the last time I lived here, I was a kid. I wasn't like stocking a home. I was like, so there's a Best Buy right near a Target right near a Walmart, right near an H. Gregg, who's buying all this stuff? You know, just the sheer amount. Like in Israel, you had this little electronic store and it was staffed by some guy who owned it, you know, and his kid was his employee. And, that, you know, I was like so not used to these. If, 
these big, huge stores with tons and tons of merchandise. I'm like, who's buying all this stuff? We live in such an unbelievable age of consumerism. We were just cooking at my house for the Chabaton, so Corrine was there, and we were talking about Costco. And she's like, oh, in France, we don't have Costco, you know? Because in Europe, it's not it's not how people shop, like the way we shop. With such, I sometimes wonder, if I would not shop anything, food, clothes, books, all the things I buy all the time, for like six months, a year, I would probably be fine. I would probably be fine. Nobody would get hungry. Everybody would have something to wear. You know, we have so much more than we need. So, again, just because you can doesn't mean you should because it's such, a, it's such an acculturation of living with excess that when I want to put on a sweater, I need to have 10 sweaters to choose from so I can choose the same one every time. Okay. Next, strolling, taking a walk. That sounds really, we're on page 96. That sounds really innocent, right? I mean, even virtuous, right? What's good about taking a walk? Go ahead. Tell me some benefits of walking. Clear your head. Breathe. Exercise. Good for your heart. Strong bones. What if you walk with someone else? Lashon hara. What did she say? Lashon That's actually in the book. What else? Any, did anybody ha- ever have a stage where you went walking with like a, wa- a walking partner, with like a friend, right? Been there, done that. It's true. You do sometimes veer off into gossip when two friends are out walking together. It, I'm sure none of you are guilty of it, but it is known to happen in the human race. <laughs> Strolling and talking, as long as they do not involve something forbidden, are certainly permissible, according to the letter of the law. Yet, how much neglect of Torah they generate, how much slander, how much lying, how much flippancy. And it states one who in, overindulges in speech cannot avoid sinning. If you're going to talk chatter with someone for a prolonged length of time, chances are that if you're not mindful, you're going to trespass into some territory, exaggerating, gossiping, making other people look bad, kvetching, complaining. It can happen. So to summarize, and if you recall, we're talking here about two kinds of abstinence. Remember the good kinds and the bad kind, right? Now we're so far talking about the good kind, the kind where you want to be careful not to take even a good thing, a positive thing, an enjoyable thing, but to make sure that it doesn't veer off into forbidden territory. So in summation, since all of one's dealings in this world are extremely dangerous, how can we not extol one who wishes to flee and distance himself greatly from them? This is what is involved when referring to the beneficial type of abstinence. One must not benefit from anything in the world other than what is essential to one's individual nature. Meaning, again, you ask yourself the question, just because I can doesn't mean that I should. And if you can think of a reason that you should, then go for it, right? There are, there are definitely times where you have to, not, not you have to, but where you should indulge in retail therapy, right? Where you should take a nice long walk with a good friend. Just be mindful of the dangers, that's all. Um, it was for this that Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi extolled himself in the previously men's, now I have to tell you who this rabbi was. He was, uh, generally speaking, and we're going to get to this more. Generally speaking, there is assumed to be in Jewish scholarship, hey, Jamie, 
a uh, sort of a zero-sum game with materialism and spirituality. That the more one indulges themselves materially, the harder it will be for them to focus on spiritual matters. And the more one focuses on spiritual matters, the less they're going to be consumed or obsessed with materialism. It doesn't mean they're not going to have it. It just means they're not going to be as, as consumed with it. They're not going to be as, as into it, as, as mindful of it. You know? and, and again, this was something I really noticed when I, when I left Israel and I came back to the States, is our focus on shopping. Um, like as a leisure activity... In Israel, I found that shopping was much more like a product-oriented <laughs> adventure, you know, it, because you don't have these, like, air-conditioned shop. Well, now you do. But, you know, it was more like you needed something, okay, you go out to the store and you buy it, okay, and then you come home. Here, and that, that was way before online shopping, but, but here in America, shopping is a leisure activity. It's a recreation activity. If you go on vacation and you go to TripAdvisor and you search, you know, things to do in Dallas, right? So what will they tell you? Shopping, dining, you know, uh, attractions. That's what they're going to show you. So shopping is an activity. It's, it's a thing to do. And it, it is. It's fun. You go away on vacation. You check out the local boutiques. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. I've picked up some really nice finds that way. But it, remember what it was. It was really meant to be something that you do because you need something. Much in the same way, which we've I'm pretty sure mentioned in this class, the way we've become so obsessed with our cars, with the cars that we drive, and what the, what the cars that we drive say about us, and how the driving experience surrounds us and envelops us with the seats, and the sound system, and the touch screens, and the Bluetooth, right? It used to be that if you had a car, you were spoiled rotten. My great-grandparents had a car. My, my great-grandmother did not drive. My, my great-grandfather drove. He was known as the guy with the car. They, he was so, and my grandmother would sit there, and my great-grandmother, and say to him the entire way because she didn't trust him. <laughs> she would be like, like, do you want to learn how to drive? She's like, no, you drive. I'm going to pray. <laughs> but it was like if you just had a vehicle that took you from point A to point B, like they would go out on a drive because they could. Now we have to get in the car and drive. We're kvetching about it with our luxury leather seats and climate control. You know, we're like, are you kidding me? I have to drive to pick you up from Target. It's, Target is three minutes from my house. You know, I'm like, I'm already in my pajamas. I'm, I don't feel like picking you up from Target. I don't feel like getting into my beautiful SUV that I love, right? And get in my attached garage. Okay, where the door is semi-insulated. So God forbid I should freeze my patooties off in the, in the winter because it's not like I have a down coat or anything, you know, and pick up my kid from Target. No, my great-grandparents, they would pile everyone in the car and go for a drive in the Bronx, okay? We're not talking about Santa Monica, California. So we have totally forgotten what the purpose of a car is. And we've forgotten what the purpose of shopping is. We've forgotten what the purpose of materialism is. Materialism is wonderful. Beauty is beautiful. It's there for us to enjoy. Enjoy it. But don't forget that it is not an end unto itself. It's a means to something greater. It's a means to something more meaningful. A car is such an unbelievable place for human connection. If you think about that, when you get into a car, your car becomes a mitzvah mobile. You know? When my teenage son needs a ride home from school, you know, I don't know, for those of you who are raising teenagers, you could go days without actually having a conversation with your teenager, especially once they learn how to drive. They, they get in that car and they go places. That they don't actually need you because they have uh, the Amazon app on their phone <laughs> and they have everything they need at their fingertips. 
But when my son needs a ride home from school, I want to be the one to go get him because that's my 10 minutes to communicate and to connect with my kid. So if you have that mindset, then your luxury, you know, late model car is now a mitzvah mobile. And if you have beautiful clothing and you take pleasure in them and you enjoy them and you thank God when you put them on in the morning, like, you know what? You look in your closet and instead of saying, oh my gosh, my closet is so small. We need to do a renovation, right? Or you take up half of your spouse's closet because, you know, like my father used to say when he and my mother moved into their new house and they have like walk-in closets and I was like, oh my gosh, his and hers closets. He's like, right, hers and his and hers. (laughs) (laughs) But if instead of complaining that your closet is too small, you take one moment to bless God for your bounty of clothing, all your clothing and all your closets are now a mitzvah. See? So materialism is an end to something, is a means to something greater. Um, Okay. So this rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, so this is what I was saying. Usually there's a zero-sum game with materialism and spirituality. And it doesn't have to do with how much you have. It has to do with your attitude towards it. If you're in pursuit of materialism, you'll have a hard time focusing on spirituality. If you're in pursuit of spirituality, you'll be less consumed with materialism. That is how it works. This rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, was an exception because he had both. The Talmud says about him, Torah He had unbelievable, remarkable Torah scholarship and he had unbelievable, remarkable wealth. It wasn't so common to find that. Many people who pursued Torah took kind of like a vow of poverty because they weren't working long hours and they weren't focusing on their business. They were focusing on Torah, so they weren't very wealthy. Um, there's the famous story of the Chafetz Chaim who actually did have a job. He had a store. But when he, when he felt like he had made enough money for that day, he closed his store. It was like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. He would be like, okay, I made enough money to live. I'm going to close my store. Do you know anybody who is doing that today? I think I have enough money now. <laughs> right? So, and he was very, very ascetic. He hardly had anything. That's the famous story of the business traveler who came traveling through Poland, and he wanted to meet this great rabbi, and he came into his home, and he said, he looked at his very Spartan uh, accommodations, and he said, Rabbi, you literally have like a bed and a table and a chair. He says, where's all your furniture? Where's all your stuff? So the rabbi looked at this business traveler, and he said, well, where's all your furniture? Where's all your stuff? So he said, well, I'm a traveler. I'm just passing through. So the rabbi said, I'm, I, too, am just a traveler in this world. I'm just passing through. I don't need so much stuff, you know? And sometimes you think about this when you are traveling and, you know, when you don't want to pay the $25, God forbid, to the airline to check a bag. So you, like, squeeze a week's worth of clothing into a carry-on, you know, and then they make you gate check it anyways, but they don't make you, they don't make you pay for it. That's the point. Anyway, right? And you're like, gosh, I, I just lived out of this much stuff for a week. I could probably do that more often. But yet we have all this stuff. Uh, I remember friends of ours from JFX, they were, they were remodeling their home. They have a, a beautiful home in Shaker Heights. So they moved into an apartment for like, I think it was eight months or something. Two, two parents and a teenager. And they were like, this is fine. They were kind of like, who needs the big house? Like We're in a little apartment. We have everything that we need. Like, I don't, we don't even remember all that stuff that's in our other house that we haven't thought about in eight months, you know? So, um, so here this rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, he had both. He had fabulous wealth and he had fabulous Torah scholarship. And what he said was that he never derived any pleasure from this world, not even with his little finger, despite the fact that he was the Nasi, he was like the prince of Israel, and his table befitted a king as dictated by the honor due to a Nasi. 
Um, their tables were never lacking lettuce or pumpkin or radishes. See, we don't even consider these things luxuries because we go to the grocery store and we can find everything that's imported from everywhere. Um, Corinne was just in my house cooking. Her sunflower oil is imported from the Ukraine. You know, like in these times, if you were a king, you might have oil from the Ukraine. You, you might. You know, now we just get everything at Trader Joe's. We don't even think twice about it. But even though he had all of this wealth, he was saying, I didn't enjoy it. Now, that's not something that we need to strive for, okay? We should enjoy all the things we have. But his point was, that's not where I get excited in life. He had such an unbelievable attitude. Stuff is stuff. And, you know, money comes and money goes. There are times, perhaps, that we have plenty, and then maybe there are some times that are leaner. It's a cycle of life. That's not what defines me. That's not what is the you know, what's my, what my joy in life is dependent on, I can have it. I can enjoy it. It's wonderful. I can do mitzvahs with it. I can have gratitude with it. But it's not what I am defined by. Okay, page 97. So if all this is good, right, it's good to abstain. It's good to create these boundaries. It's good to say I don't need all of this excess. You may, of course, ask if the second paragraph, if this, in fact, is something both necessary and vital, why didn't the sages enact legislation for this the way they did for the other rabbinic enactments? So why wasn't this formalized? Why wasn't this codified? Like, every woman should have 10 outfits. You know what I'm saying? Not saying that they should, just reading. The answer is clear and simple. The sages only enacted decrees that the majority of people could abide by. This is a defining rule in the Talmud, that the sages never created a decree that most people couldn't handle. Not to say that it wouldn't have been a good idea, but if the majority of the community would have been like, okay, now you've gone too far, then they wouldn't enact it because that was going to be counterproductive. And the majority of people cannot attain piousness. So even this level that we're talking about, that's such a good idea. Like, let's say you, you're out shopping and you pick up an outfit and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so cute. Wow, the price is great and it fits me. It looks great on me. It's just my color. You know what? I don't really need another sweater right now. And you hang it back up on the rack. The sages said most people can't do that. So we're not even going to tell them to. Interesting. But yeah. Not just about clothes specifically. Yes, materialism, physical pleasures. It is enough of an achievement for them to be righteous. So, you know what I mean? It's enough of an achievement for you to just follow the actual rules of Judaism. Like, stay honest. You know, eat food that's kosher. uh, Don't try to cut corners in your business. Pay your taxes honestly. Basically, the sages were saying, we've got enough on our plate with just following the rules of the Torah. We're not going to make you do extra stuff. So, interesting. It's a little bit of a sad commentary on human nature, but it's also a very reassuring concept in Judaism that there was an understanding that there are certain things that we just can't do. And maybe sometimes some of us can do these things once in a while. It's even good to know that it's a concept, that there's a concept with it. I I think that sometimes when we're raising our kids, it's very easy for us to see why our kids should do this, you know? Sometimes, let's say, our kids are watching TV or playing video games, right? And we're like, haven't you been on this, you know, playing this video game for like 16,000 hours, you know? By the way, PSA, Fortnite is going out. Just telling you, for those of you whose kids are addicted to Fortnite, anyone? No, it's going out of style. Like, there's new stuff on the horizon. <laughs> Overwatch. Do you guys have you guys heard of Overwatch? 
Okay. Anyway, just keeping you up to date on the trends. You're welcome. Anyway, so you'll you'll see your kid watching TV or Netflix or whatever, right? And you'll be like, oh my God, you've been in front of the video game for like how many hours? You know, they'll be like, I already finished all my homework. And you're like, okay. And I already took a shower. Okay. And I even cleaned up from dinner. Okay. So there's really no reason for you to make them stop. But you still feel in your gut that just because they can doesn't mean they should. It's not enough for you in your gut that there isn't anywhere else they need to be, that they fulfilled all their responsibilities, that they're conscientious at school and at home, right? That's not enough for you. You still feel like they're engaging in excess, even though it's a kosher excess, right? You understand? Mm -hmm. However, we don't tend to put the same strictures on ourselves. Why is that? We don't want to be confined that way. We feel like we can be able, we should be able to tell our kids not to, but we might binge watch something really interesting, right? And we might tell ourselves, well, I already did this. I already did that. I worked so hard. I deserve it. I this, I that. Somehow in our brain, we feel like maybe this isn't so psychologically healthy, but we indulge anyways. Why? Because our mothers aren't living in our house telling us to get off, the, get off, turn off that stupid machine already, right? It's an interesting thing to think about. You are an adult. You are responsible for someone else, and you do as I say, not no, oh, well, <laughs> how well does that work? But the sages understood. But if you think it's right, then shouldn't it be right across the board? But the sages understood that we didn't want anyone telling us that. That if we have crossed all our T's and dotted all our I's, we want to be left alone to indulge as we wish. Interesting thing to think about. However... Those singular individuals among the nation whose desire is to attain the closeness of the Blessed One and to bring through their merits spiritual benefits to the remaining masses who are dependent upon them. So we're talking now about some unique individuals in our our nation who, who can do this and who do do this, right? So when I ask you to think about not let's say not exclusive to Judaism. Who are some people throughout the ages that have been really like you would consider them pious ascetics, like people who refrain from indulging in materialism? Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa. Who else? Gandhi. Gandhi. Who else? That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough, Rocky. We don't need more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? The Pope. Maybe. There were there were some of these, you know, hermits throughout, like, Tons. yeah, yeah. These may be crazy. No. <laughs> do we? Do you guys want to be like them? Mm-mm. Most of us don't. Most of us like our creature comforts. Okay. But let's say that there are some people, and I happen to know a person like this, a person who is alive and well in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm going to tell you about that person soon. They are the ones who should fulfill the tenets of the pious that others are incapable of, i.e. the provisions of abstinence mentioned herein. This is the eternal's express choice. So God understood that we, we weren't all going to be able to do this. I don't really need another sweater right now. You know, God understood. You know what, Rochi? I get it. Buy the sweater. Okay. But... Maybe it's good enough that there are a few unique individuals among us who are sort of living that pious life on behalf of all of us. 
Sounds like a sweet deal, guys, right? For it is impossible for the entire nation to be equally on one footing. We're not all the same. We don't all have the same drives and desires. Since there are varying levels among them, each person in accord with his intelligence. <laughs> Interesting how, he's, how he uh, equates this with intelligence. But at least there are select individuals who can develop their capabilities thoroughly, and through those who are capable, those who are not, will also et- attain the eternal love and his divine presence, similar to what they have blessed memory taught. Let those come and atone for those. So that God will look at us, the Jewish people, as a collective. And God will say, you know what? I'm so proud of you guys. You're really trying your hardest, and you're really trying to keep the rules. And there are even some among you who are like extra pious. That's amazing. And, and they are kind of making up for you. Okay? It's, that's a beautiful thought. And we, um, okay. So we're, we're going we're gonna to pause here. That, that it's enough that there are a few that are sort of like taking the lead on this piousness thing, and they are making up for the rest of us, which is beautiful. So I have to tell you about my rabbi, Rabbi Hirschfeld, Rabbi Baruch Hirschfeld. He is um, maybe in his 60s, I think. He lives in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, on Shannon Road. He lives in possibly the simplest house I have ever seen. He literally eats to live. He eats what he needs to eat. He does not eat. He, I don't think he considers food to be a pleasure um, vehicle. It's to keep him alive. Uh, I think he rarely sleeps. When we lived in Cleveland Heights, we lived right over on the next block. And my husband would go over there sometimes to ask him questions. But first he would look over at his house to see if the light was on. The light was always on. And he would call him and the rabbi would always answer his phone. No secretary, no, uh, hi, you have reached the offices of Rabbi Hirschfeld. No, it was just him on his landline phone. I think he might have gotten a cell phone last year, like a flip phone. I have never met a more humble person. I have never met a more simple person. Creature comforts are not even a thing. And if I didn't know him personally, I wouldn't believe it. But when I look at him, I feel like this is a holy person. You know, Mother Teresa and Gandhi aside. (laughs) But I think that there are so many of these humble people living among us, and we don't even know about them because they're not famous, and they're not in the limelight, and they call absolutely no attention to themselves, and none of the news agencies have found out about them. And personally, they wouldn't make a great story. They would be very unremarkable because... They just, it's just, there's nothing flashy about them. There's nothing exciting. There's no story. And it's really amazing for me, at least, to know that such a person exists in this world. And when I look at him and the way he conducts his life, there's no way I would conduct my life that way. I don't, I don't strive to conduct my life that way. But it is very inspiring to know that there is a person who does conduct his life this way, who was born in my generation, lives in my generation, is raising kids in my generation. It's beautiful. So it's, I feel like perhaps all of us are riding along on his coattails because he is carrying our community. And there are many, I'm sure, unsung heroes like him in our community. It's a very beautiful thing to know. Okay, so up till now we've been talking about the right kind of abstinence. And even the right kind of abstinence, it's not for all of us. But it is good for us to know about it the 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 rule for the tardy people is they have to sit next to the teacher (laughs) (laughs) it is good for us to know that such a concept exists and maybe 
in some subtle way, it will influence the way we think. And the next time we are going to indulge to excess, we can, we can pull it back just a little bit and say, you know what, just because I can doesn't mean that I should. Now we're going to talk about the wrong kind of abstinence, the kind that is harmful, the kind that is dangerous, the kind that is not Jewish. Harmful abstinence, this is bottom of page 97, resembles the ways of the foolish Gentiles. So it's not that only Gentiles indulge in this, but what he's trying to say is this, these are not Jewish concepts. People who do this are not following Jewish philosophy, who not only refrain from what is unessential, but also deny themselves what is essential and chastise themselves, often in strange ways, which the eternal totally rejects. The sages have said a person is not allowed to mortify himself. And when referring to charity, they say whoever needs to take and doesn't is regarded as if he has shed blood. So some people feel like it's not virtuous to accept charity. So it's better to starve than to accept charity. So this is not a Jewish concept. No, it's not. Of course, a person shouldn't put themselves in a situation where they have to accept charity. But if you are in a situation like that, that's, that's what charity is for. And the community is here to support each other. And God willing, the wheel of fortune will turn. And you'll be the one to be able to provide charity for someone else. But if you need it, of course, you should take it. You know, even though you might feel like, well, that's, I, I, should, I should refrain from taking money from others. That that's some, some sort of piousness. No, that's what we call foolish piousness. Don't do that. Um, your, duty to, your duty is to sustain your soul that I implanted within you. That's what God says. Don't think that you're being um, virtuous by denying yourself food or shelter or trying to be some extreme ascetic. There's nothing Jewish about that. You're putting yourself in danger and you're not allowed to do that. Furthermore, second paragraph, Hillel used to say, one who is beneficent to his own soul is a pious person, refers to the eating of breakfast. Meaning that, you know, we talk a lot in Judaism about being good to, to others and taking care of others and feeding the hungry and sustaining the needy and clothing the naked. Well, Hillel says, doing that for yourself is just as much as an, an act of kindness. And a pious person, the same... Um, the same gifts and the same care that you would bestow another, on another person, please make sure you're bestowing onto yourself. You know, I think sometimes as mothers we do this. We run around giving breakfast, giving breakfast, and by the time we give breakfast to ourselves, we're, we're eating our kids' leftovers or whatever happens to be hanging around. You know, you know what? Could you cook yourself a nice breakfast the same way you, or let's say you don't cook breakfast, but whatever, you, you took the time to prepare breakfast for your spouse, your kids, whoever. Could you do that for yourself? Take care of your own soul. Don't be overly ascetic. Oh, me, I'm the martyr. Oh, no, I eat cold leftovers. Really? Mm. Be good to yourself the same way you're good to anybody else. It's not more pious to be a martyr and to deny yourself. Take care of yourself. That's pious. Hillel would wash his face and hands in honor of his heavenly master, deriving this from the practice of religion. Okay, so when Hillel would have a meal, this is part of why we wash our hands ceremoniously, right? It's, it's not with soap for cleanliness. It's ceremoniously we wash our hands. I think we mentioned this last time because we believe that sitting down to a meal is like, is like being at an altar. It's like the temple service. And so we wash our hands. This is something really holy and something really special. Well, guess what? When I make myself a meal, that's also special and holy. Just because I'm not making it for someone else doesn't make it any less special and holy. And Hillel, if he would make a meal for himself, he would, he would wash his hands and he's like, I'm sitting myself down at the altar and serving God by, by serving myself a meal, right? What do we do? We eat off paper plates in the car as we're going somewhere. You know, what if you actually cooked yourself a meal 
and took out a nice dish and a placemat and a flower and you set the table. <laughs> a flower! Yes, yes, I am for real. Our husbands would think we lost what? it. What? <laughs> Our husbands would probably think we lost it. And you sit yourself down and you say to yourself, <laughs> being a martyr is not a mitzvah. If this is how I would serve someone else, then this is how I should serve myself. You know, uh, I, I was talking. On a plate and by the kitchen sink. <laughs> Good enough. I'm not a martyr. I'm not uncomfortable with that. Anybody? With I didn't say there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying that sometimes we treat other people better than we treat ourselves. What? No, the flower is the whole point because that's the extra piece. If you were having guests over, you wouldn't put some flowers on your table? Yeah. I would. Sometimes just fine. Those are pretty at Trader Joe's. Right. So I, so I used to have this thing in my head from when I was a young newlywed. And by the way, today is my 25th anniversary. Oh. For those of you who did not see my social media yet. No. Happy 25 years. Unbelievable. So nice. I have so much gratitude. So I had this idea in my head from 25 years ago <clears throat> that husbands are supposed to buy their wives flowers for Shabbos. Okay. Now, the first, the first problem with that sentence is the word supposed to. Like, that's what you should strike from your vocabulary, okay? If I could have told myself that 25 years ago, that might have been helpful. So, um, so I would, like, sit around on Friday, like, waiting for the flowers. Now, you know, my husband, sometimes he remembered and sometimes he didn't or sometimes he was busy. And then I'd be like, I'm supposed to buy me flowers. I'm supposed to buy me flowers. Finally, it dawned on me, I can buy myself flowers for Shabbos. I can buy my husband flowers for Shabbos. Where is it written in the book of husbands and wives that men are the ones who have to buy the flowers for the women? Why can't women buy flowers for men? Now, you're going to tell me that men don't like flowers? Okay, buy them scotch and buy yourselves flowers. (laughs) But buy yourself the flowers. That's the thing. If you would have bought flowers for, you know, you know when we do this? We do this on our birthdays and our anniversaries. We have these ideas. People should buy me flowers for my anniversary, my birthday, Buy yourself a freaking present. What? Does he know about this? Because today's your anniversary. Yeah, I know. Don't worry. We're going away. (laughs) Um, I was once reading this article by this woman. I think I read it to you guys in Muster. This was years ago. That she always used to have these expectations of her husband, like for birthdays and anniversaries and this and that. Finally, she decided after so many times, like, he tried to get the right thing, and then it was the wrong thing, and it was really the thing she wanted last year, but he, he didn't buy it last year, he bought it this year, this year, she doesn't want it anymore, you know? She used to like these cookies. By the time he knows about the cookies, she's on a diet, she's not eating cookies, you know what I'm saying? Like, he can't get it right. So she decided, you know what she's going to do? She's going to go out, buy herself a present, wrap it, write herself a note, and give it to herself. <laughs> give herself the present that she wants, you know? That's piousness. Did you know that that's piousness? You know why? You would do it for someone else. If your best friend had a birthday, if your kid had a birthday, if your mother had a birthday. Right. So so for yourself, you're going to be a martyr. I don't need anything for my birthday. But please read my mind and know exactly what I want for my birthday. Give it to yourself. When I first got married, every week Adam would bring home flowers, and I and I gave him a hard time. I'm like, they're gonna die. It's a waste of money. We can't afford it. See, they they can never and get it now, right. Exactly. And now every week I go in and buy myself flowers, and I call him like, thanks so much for the flowers. And he's just like, no problem. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? I like, used our credit card. <laughs> I bought flowers in like just at Trader Joe's, but I like cut them down, and put them in like a vase, and Eric walks in, and he's like. Where'd those come from? Who sent you flowers? I'm like, I did it. Flowers? Like, you're fine. 
I know, I know, it's great. But but sometimes we do this. We take care of everyone else better than we take care of ourselves. That's not, and then somehow we feel all virtuous about it. Oh, who me? No, I'm not hungry. Oh, who me? No, I don't eat. No, I'm good. Really? That's not pious. Don't do it. The fundamental rule to be derived is as follows. A person should abstain from worldly matters that are unessential. On the other hand, anything that he regards as essential, for whatever reason, must not be abstained from because it is essential to him. But if he disregards this principle and abstains from it, he is a sinner. If he disregards this principle and abstains from it, he is a sinner. If you're a martyr for dumb reasons, you're a sinner. Because you know what? God did create this world for pleasure. And he did create shopping. And he did create flowers. And he created cookies. And he created clothing. And he created color and art and beauty and music. And he created friendship. And he created so many enjoyable things. And if you're not enjoying them with some misplaced idea of piousness, then you're not doing the right thing. If you're cutting down because you see that it could take you into dangerous territory or because you feel that it's excessive or if it's because you feel that it's indulgent or ostentatious, okay, those are good reasons. Those are legitimate reasons. Even that you can't do all the time. This is a sound rule, yet the application of the specifics in conformity to this rule is left to one's discretion. So the sages decided not to make rules about this. You know what? Everybody, I trust your judgment. That's what the sages tell us. You guys are going to have to navigate this one on your own. Know that it is a character trait to, to refrain from things, even if you can indulge in them, but we are leaving it up to your judgment and up to your discretion to figure out how and when to apply this in real life. It is impossible to assemble all the specifics since they are so numerous and man's mind cannot encompass all of them. Rather, man, one must deal with them one by one, each at its appropriate time. I will also add that in, the, in some other religions outside of Judaism, there are certain um, virtuous paths of behavior that are also in contradistinction to Judaism. Um, for example, in some religions, it's considered the most virtuous to not get married and to not have a family and to be celibate, right? Priest. Right, but Judaism says that's not a goal. They, they don't say, well, what should we do? You know, people have drives, they need to get married. That's not Judaism. Judaism considers it a mitzvah to get married. A chuppah is a holy place. It's not a concession to our drives. It is a mitzvah to have children. It is a mitzvah to engage in physical, intimate connection with one's spouse. So don't think that it's more pious to be celibate. That's not true in Judaism, right? We have fast days. Yes, we do. We sometimes refrain from food. Does anybody know how many fast days there are on the Jewish calendar? Too many. (laughs) (laughs) Six. Six fast days. Does anybody know? What? Two are major, four are minor. The two major ones are Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av. And then there are four minor ones. Does anybody know how many feasting days there are in Judy on the Jewish calendar? Every Shabbos, so that's 52. Plus <laughs> right, because how many meals are we eating? My, so my, my daughter Yitti, who's at John Carroll right now for graduate school, so it's, it's 
very fascinating for her to be in a Catholic college, okay? She went to Orthodox Day School through 12th grade, and then she did her undergrad in Israel on a Shomer Shabbos program, okay? So now she is totally out of the bubble, yeah. <laughs> okay? Exactly. So she gets these, like, um, inspirational emails from John Carroll. So the first couple of them were from, like, Matthew and Luke, you know? And then she starts getting, before uh, before the high holidays, she starts getting, they're coming from Jewish places. One of them was from Noah Weinberg of Asia Torah. She's like, who is writing a John Carroll's emails? This is so weird. But then they sent out an email right before Yom Kippur, and they mentioned um, the Jewish fast day starts, blah, 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 but they made a typo. Instead of fast, they wrote feast. And they were like, starts at sundown on Tuesday and goes all the way until nightfall on Wednesday. I'm like, if somebody doesn't know the Jews very well, they are going to think that we literally eat for 25 hours straight. <laughs> this is so... I'm talking about your email from John Carroll. It was so funny. I'm like, listen... If you think about the ratio in Judaism between when you're supposed to eat and when you're not supposed to eat, we, don't get me wrong. We are way leaning over to the eating side. But could you just please know that on Yom Kippur we literally don't eat? Could you give us a little bit of credit, okay? It's a hard day, guys. We are not feasting for 25 hours, okay? So it's true. We do have fast days on the calendar. But that's a little, little minority of how Judaism views food. Not only are you supposed to have food on Shabbat and holidays, but then we celebrate B'nai Mitzvah with more food, and we celebrate weddings with more food, and then we have a Siyam, and there's more food. And, I mean, it goes on and on and on. There's a mitzvah to have a special meal on Rosh Chodesh. Seriously, every single time you eat, it's a mitzvah, right? Remember, if you take a moment before a meal, and you say a blessing before that meal... And you say, blessed are you, God, who has created fruit of the trees. Blessed are you, God, who has caused bread to come forth out of the ground. That entire meal is now a mitzvah. That's a gratitude fest. So we are into food in this religion, you know. Don't think it's pious to not eat. Don't think it's pious to not get married. Don't think it's pious to not enjoy life. You know, when the Jews were building the temple in the desert and they collected money from everybody and there was jewelry and gold and tapestries and all kinds of beautiful brocades and the, the temple in Israel had golden, the, the one in the desert too, had golden um, furniture. It was beautiful. Judaism has always been into beauty and pleasure. But it, so it is, it is not a Jewish idea that we're supposed to live like hermits and monks few people can do that, that's okay. A few days on the calendar we don't eat, that's okay. But for the most part, we are supposed to love and enjoy the pleasures that God put into this world, use them with the proper attitude, enjoy them, bless God, thank God, share them with others less fortunate, and and that's the virtue of, what time is it? Is my watch right? Okay. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so that is the end of chapter 13. Okay, we'll take a couple minutes to pause here. Any thoughts or questions on chapter 13? Yes, Mila. Lashon Hara. Yeah. What do you talk about? You mean if you're not talking Lashon Hara, what do you talk about? that you were all at a birthday party over the weekend to talk about 
How beautiful was the wedding and how much... Wait, stop! That's not Lashon okay. Hara. Um, Lashon Hara me means... The, 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 the actual translation of Lashon Hara uh, is bad so speech. Yeah. That's positive. Okay. Right. Yeah, I'll but be there. But then you're also um, going to so say... Did you see the haircut on so and so? Okay, that's Lush and Hara. That would be Lush and Hara. That's a great example of Lush and Hara. You know what I'm saying? If I don't start it, she will, or vice versa. And how do you how do you clamp that mouth? Okay, so let me let me tell you something. There is. There is a I chapter. I see that. <laughs> okay, listen. There is a chapter in the book, The Ways of the Tzaddikim. The Ways of Tzaddikim is a classic Musar text. It has 28 character traits. One of, the, one of the character traits is the character trait of silence. Okay? So it's exactly like what they were talking about, strolling and walking and talking and about how your speech can go into the wrong direction. So in that chapter... It talks about how there are three categories of speech, okay? There's speech that's a mitzvah, okay? What, what kind of speech would you guys consider a mitzvah? Torah. 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 Prayer. Prayer. What else? Support. Encouragement. Support. Encouragement. Support. What else? Wishing people happy. Yes. Compliments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Gratitude. Gratitude. Okay. Then there's speech that's neutral, Okay, what's considered neutral? Sports. So, um, well, sports might be neutral. It <laughs> depends who's talking about it. The weather might be neutral. It might be one long fetch. Um, in the book, in the ways of the tzaddikim, they mention two examples of neutral speech. Now, and, and in the book, it doesn't talk so complimentary about neutral speech. It's basically speech that has no purpose. But you're not, you're not saying anything bad. It's basically like chatter. Okay, so what are the two, what? Idle banter. Idle banter, thank you. What are the two examples in the the book? One is um, tales of ships and kings, and tales, I think I'm remembering it correctly, and tales of cities, like how long did it take to build, and what did they use to build it? So those were things that people talked about before sports and politics, okay? Now, you can talk about stuff like that, and that's very interesting, right? But it can all, that can also go negative, right? People now chatter about sports and politics that can easily go negative, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. The third category is speech that is forbidden. So what kind of speech is forbidden? Lashon Hara, what else? Talking badly about your child in front of other people. Yes, that's also a form of Lashon Hara. What else? Criticizing God. Yes. Whatever. Yes. What'd she say? Criticizing God. Mm. What else? Bad-mouthing a company or like mm-hmm. a restaurant mm-hmm. for a certain Lying. reason. Israel. Lying. Lying. Right? Bad-mouthing Israel. Um, I'm sorry. What about Israel? Bad-mouthing Israel. I'm sorry? Bad-mouthing. Bad-mouthing. I would say also um, not just Lashon Hara, but um, like harping on the negative, like complaining, mm-hmm. you know, being like a... a De- Debbie, Downer, Debbie Downer, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not you. I could have called her Donna. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, this is not something that we think of because Lush and Hara, we typically think about talking about people behind their backs. But what about making people feel bad to their faces? You know, a put down, embarrassing somebody in front of others. Those are also forbidden speech. 
So there is a small category of neutral speech, but the way we use it, it typically ends up going into one of the other two categories. Meaning, let's say that you're chattering about the wedding that you went to, right? So look, if you go to an event, chances are there's going to be some things about it that you liked and some things about it that you didn't like, right? So what if you could teach yourself to, say, to share the stuff that you liked and keep the negative comments to yourself? You know what I'm saying? There's still plenty to talk about. You could talk about books you've read. You could talk about ideas you've heard. One second, I just have to say one more thing. Okay. Um, my grandfather passed away about two years ago. You were going to mention, so you say it, Sherry. I was just going to say, you need a sign, and I'm happy to make it, which we made in honor of your, your grandpa's yard site. Her, her grandpa, Zay, her Zadie, used to say, in our home, we talk about things, ideas, ideas not people. Mm. I'm take it to the show. Mm. So, oh, I yeah. like that. But, you know, like you were saying about the negative. <laughs> I, I love that. Okay. Ideas. Sure. Okay, yeah, ideas. I got it. But I, I know that we have to go. That's why I am. I don't know. It's fine. It was just cute. <laughs> like, yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. No, I didn't mean that. But, but I do know. I do want to tell you something. It's not easy to do that. Because our culture is so used to chit-chatting about people and gossiping about people, and people don't even think it's bad. And they don't even think it's harmful. And I want to give you two examples. Here's one example. In America, right, if you are a, a gossip column or a magazine or a whatever. It sells. You, not only does it sell, not only do people pay good money for yeah. that, but it's totally legal as long as it's true. If it's not true, then it's called libel. And then you could be prosecuted for it. In Judaism, you're not allowed to say it even if it's true. Mm -hmm. Because it's not healthy to be negative all the time. And here's here's my second example that I want to say. I, thank God, I've been privileged to grow up with these ideas. As a child, I was taught these ideas of Lashon Hara. Um, And not to say that I never hear Lashon Hara, I do. It's not to say that I'm never guilty of Lashon Hara, I am. But I have been acculturated to the fact that it's distasteful. I will never forget one time I got on a plane and there were two very classy women sitting behind me, business travelers. They were obviously co-workers. The entire ride, they were gossiping about the people in their office. There was no even pause about like, maybe we shouldn't be talking about other people. They They didn't come up for air. And they were sitting in that plane. There was nobody listening. They didn't have to worry that somebody was, you know what I'm saying? Nobody knew them. But I was just culturally it was so grating on my ears to hear like even when I do indulge in Lashon Hara like I feel guilty about it I know I shouldn't be talking about it and then and then I keep it short and then I'll be like we, we have this joke in my family somebody will start saying something and be like you know what maybe I shouldn't say this and then half the family's like no don't tell us tell us you know and the other half is like she doesn't want to say it there's obviously a reason <laughs> you know so there's there's the struggle these women didn't even have the struggle because they had no idea exactly. that this is something that's not good for you. It's it, not kosher. I mean, it's a, it's a gray and, area, and I think. Uh, they get so upset. Oh, I wouldn't say yeah. a word to them. I don't even know them. No, no, no. no. But no, they're engaging so with right. someone, and that friend starts talking. So I don't want to talk about it. But, but let me just tell you this. Right. They get offended. You don't want to talk about right. it. Right, right. So, but it's the right thing. Even Lori Platnick yeah. taught us you know, nine or whatever, ten years ago, that it's even worse to listen to Lashonara than it is to speak it. Well, there's... Because you can walk away. Right, and because if there's no audience, there's no conversation. Exactly.
So what's the good stop what, sign to give somebody? Well, we got to change the subject. It's a good stop sign. It's hard. It's really hard. But to them, to those women, it wasn't obvious. Well, I mean, the, how, where do you draw the line when, when different, it's a close friend who's venting about something that's upsetting her mm-hmm. and she knows she can trust you not that's to... Different. Correct. I agree that is different. That is different. And that's happened to me it's, in a work it's situation. It's on you to take it with a grain of salt, meaning you can't swallow it whole. You can't swallow that story whole. You have to, in the privacy of your own mind, say to yourself, this is her side of the story. There's two sides to every story. She's seeing it her way. There must be, you know, there's more to this. So at least you're not, like, swallowing it whole. So that, that's as far as you being, like kind of brainwashed into believing now that this other person is bad you have to maintain your objectivity you know and Mm -hmm. your like judgmental integrity um but you yes i think you should support that friend you should you should support that friend um and you have to know what the friend is looking to you for are they looking to you to calm them down do they want you to interpret the situation in a more positive way or do they just need to be heard and validated you have to know what it is that they want from you because if you're going to tell them no that's lush and hara obviously you know they're just going to get angry at you they're going to shut you down and they're not going to trust you anymore mm-hmm. you know so however i do think that if you have a friend who's doing that all the time you want to you want to take a second look at that friendship you know, it doesn't even feel good to constantly be like the punching bag for everybody else's stuff. And some people just kind of feed off of living in the drama and always like interpreting everything as like the victim. So, and for you to tell other people to vent to other people. See, the word venting is very interesting, right? When you when you're cooking and a pot is boiling, 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 right? And you vent the pot, right? What is the purpose of doing that? <laughs> Hopefully to relieve your own stress. To release the steam so that so it doesn't boil over. That is the purpose of venting is so that the other person can calm down. But you know what happens sometimes? The venter calls a friend. Now, who do they call? Someone who's going to tell them exactly what they want to hear, right? When they're looking through their contacts, who should I call? Who should I call? Oh, she always tells me what I'm going to call her. <laughs> okay. So then she gets on the phone. She's like, okay. So she's the pot. She's bubbling over, right? And she's venting. And then the friend says, oh my God, are you kidding me? That is ridiculous. You're so right. You should totally. Okay. Now the person on the other end of the phone is even more cooked up now than they were before they got started. Mm-hmm. So are they venting? No. They are boiling more. So venting, we call it venting because it sounds purposeful, but not necessarily does the person want to calm down. Sometimes they just want to be encouraged and get more fired up in their fight. You have to know who you're talking to. Yes, and you have to ask yourself, ultimately, is this a constructive conversation or is the end result of this conversation going to be worse than it was before we started? Okay, we are going to pause for today. <laughs> Fire. Thank you, sweetie, and I love your hair. Thanks. I know, I just had it fixed. Isn't it cute? Yeah, it's really cute. Thank you for noticing. Hey. Oh, yeah. Hi, sweetie. How's your trip? 
Bye, Heike. Thanks for coming. Good for you. Good for you because that's not easy. No. Yeah. I know. It's exhausting. I know. I know because then there are the friends that you can't you can't get off the phone with them because they're never done. I know. I, I can't even answer the phone. Right. To talk to them. And I'll text. Why don't talk to anybody? I'm scared I won't be able to get into I know. Morbid fear of being trapped. It's fine. Purple cabbage is fine. Do I wash it like No. Cabbage is generally clean. So, these. These things all need to be cleaned. Okay, the parsley, so the mixed greens, the spinach, and the romaine hearts. Except the ones that were already stickered, cut. That's fine. Okay, yes. So those you just need to check a few leaves. Okay. And celery, I think. Celery is fine. You just need to rinse it. Carrots are fine. Mushrooms are fine. Fine, fine, fine. These these need a hefsher, wal- walnuts and almonds. That has a star Q. That's fine. Chickpeas, yeah. Everything else is good. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. I bought some disposable little tongs. Perfect. Can I bring anything from my kitchen? They're all metal. I can yeah, it's, it's all cold. That's fine. And I brought disposable plates. Awesome. But I have a stand that's metal. That's fine. Yeah. I know it's late. Do you think since it's a mitzvah challenge, there's some mitzvah we could do, like a tzedakah part to bring us something, you know? I just Right. That's right. we are. Some get so much time spent feeding ourselves something else we could do, but it's an 11th hour. I mean, right. people are collecting bras for women in shelters, toilets. Um, you know what? If you know of a cause, maybe put something on the chat. And whoever can bring it will bring it. And if not, I'll offer to go out and get some and people, you know.